you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shalom. Oh, I think you can do better. Let's try it all together. It's a Hebrew word, so it comes from the Bible. Let's try it. Shalom. Oh, I feel at home. That's so great. Thank you for welcoming me. Uh, You know, you guys have been partners with Juice for Jesus for a while. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, I I feel so welcome. There is a guy here at this church named Aaron who is an amazing cook. And he made for me this morning shakshuka. Now, if you don't know what shakshuka is, it's an Israeli breakfast. And it has tomatoes and eggs and parsley and peppers and cheese and avocado. It's just the best thing. And I've had shakshuka in Israel, and it's amazing. But I've tried it at different places here in North America, restaurants that offer it, and it's never been really all that good. But Aaron here at CPC nailed it. There's just a little bit left back there, but I think I'm going to eat it before I head back to the airport today. (laughs) Anyway, it's so good to be with you guys and to celebrate. Now, some of you don't know, and maybe Jews for Jesus, it sounds like a strange name, right? For a group of people, Jews for Jesus, sounds like vegetarians for meat, right? (laughs) Who ever heard of that? Well, remember, of course, that Jesus is Jewish. His first followers, the disciples, Peter, John, James, they were all Jews for Jesus back in the first century. All the writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, uh, were Jewish. Uh, But Luke was a doctor, right? So who knows, you know, he could have been Jewish too. But, you know, the whole point of it is that God brought the gospel, God brought the scriptures through the Jewish people, but it was intended for all people. You know, and God had to give the Apostle Peter three visions before he finally got up enough chutzpah, enough nerve to go to this house of this Roman centurion named Cornelius. And he preached the gospel there for the first time. A whole bunch of Gentiles got saved, which was great. But Peter had another problem because he went back to Jerusalem and he told everybody what he had done. And people were getting all upset and there were... They actually had to hold the first church council to resolve this burning question. What do we do with Gentiles for Jesus? So you see how 2,000 years have kind of flipped it on its head? But you know what? The whole thing is God was interested in bringing people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jews and Gentiles were one together in the Messiah. Isn't that great? So we're one here today. And and because of that, you share in this rich heritage that you're going to be exploring over the next seven weeks. God wove into the very fabric of the scriptures and the festivals and all that he revealed this wonderful truth that you can now tap into. And today we're going to look actually at the seventh of those seven festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot as it's called in Hebrew. You know why? Well, it's not because in Hebrew you read from right to left, so we start at the end, but although that's true. But today is the second day of the Feast of Tabernacles. All over the world, Jewish people are celebrating it. And as you learn about it, you may want to celebrate it too. It's yours to celebrate. But uh, I want to tell you that God has really been blessing the ministry of Jews for Jesus. We have a little plaque on the cornerstone of our headquarters. It says, Jews for Jesus established 32 AD, give or take a year. 
But in reality, we as a North American and now worldwide ministry began in September of 1973. So do the math and you'll realize that this is our Jubilee year, our 50th year. And so we've just been celebrating that and God's goodness and one of the best ways we could think of to celebrate our Jubilee is to do evangelistic outreach, to proclaim. That's what the, the scriptures say in Leviticus 25, proclaim Jubilee, proclaim this, pro proclaim freedom. And so I actually wrote a whole book about it and uh, I can't find anybody else who ever wrote a book about Jubilee and how it's really the, the, the framework of God for his kingdom established now and in the future. But uh, at any rate, we celebrated Jubilee this year for Jews for Jesus by doing evangelistic outreaches to 23 different key audiences of Jewish people all around the globe. I have a little report on that, a little video that I'd like you to see right now. We're pretty excited about that and the outcomes of that outreach and uh, your partnership with us helps make those kinds of things possible you know a lot of people look at that 55 Jewish professions of faith in Jesus to me that's a lot a lot of people see Billy Graham Crusades or something like that and they think wow you know but Jewish evangelism has always been like hand-picked fruit you know one by one there's a lot of resistance as you'll see as we look into the scriptures today Jesus has always been controversial in the Jewish community. And for many people, many Jewish people were raised to believe that if you are Jewish, you can't believe in Jesus. 
And that's just because we don't know our own scriptures. And we're going to see Jesus today revealed in the scriptures. And so your partnership begins with prayer. When you came in today, you received a card. I'm going to ask you to take that card out right now. It, kind of, it looks like this. It has a picture of me and my wife, Sabra, at the top. Sabra is a Hebrew name. And Sabra is an Israeli citizen. And uh, so... What I want you to do is to participate with me in the ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony of tearing the card together at the count of three, all right? So you fold it right below that picture a few times, and then we'll count to three in Hebrew, and amazingly, you'll know when to rip. Are you ready? Echad, shdaim, shalosh. All right. Now, unless you're especially creative, you know you now only have two pieces in your hand. And if you keep this one, the picture, and take it home with you, you can take me home with you today. Remember to pray for us as we reach out with the gospel all over the world. You saw that map up there, maybe? Jews for Jesus is in 12 countries. Uh, in a couple weeks, Sabra and I are going to be going to Israel with a group of people there. Um, just amazing. There's more openness among Israeli Jews than any other Jewish community around the world. And there are more Jewish people living in Israel than any other country in the world. It used to be North America, but now it's Israel. And that's a sign of the times. And we're so excited to have 50 full-time Jews for Jesus missionaries, all Israeli-born, living in ministering in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem, the main two population centers in the country. So pray for us. That's the first and most important way to be involved. Secondly, if you fill out this card, you can go to the literature table in the lobby where Jews for Jesus has a table there, and there's a basket. You can drop that in, and if you do, we'll be able to send you our free monthly newsletter. You can get it email or snail mail, whichever you prefer. And uh, I also want to send you that book I told you about that I wrote about Jubilee. You'll really enjoy Enjoy it. It's an amazing concept that most people don't understand, and yet it's right there in the Bible, and we've been living with it. Jesus actually used the Jubilee announcement to, to start his ministry. You'll find out more about that. So fill out this card and drop it in the basket, and if you'd like to give to Jews for Jesus at that time, you can do that as well. But we have a lot of material back there, free literature, like samples of our newsletters. So here's, here's what our newsletter looks like. And uh, you should get it because it will tell you more about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith. It will also tell you more about how you can share Jesus with Jewish people. And we want to do that. There's a brochure back there, how to share Jesus with your Jewish friends. And then there's a number of books. This is one I wrote a while ago called Christ and the Feast of Tabernacles. So it'll go into even more depth about what we're talking about today. This festival is near and dear to my heart. Obviously, I wrote a book about it. Not very well known. I'm glad we're starting with it. Today's uh, the second day, and if you have a Bible, we're going to look at that right now in Leviticus 23. All seven of the festivals, by the way, are listed here in Leviticus 23. Also, Deuteronomy 16, you can check it out. They mention three festivals there. But throughout the scriptures, you can see references to this festival of tabernacles or Sukkot as it's called in Hebrew in verse 33 of Leviticus 23 the Lord spoke to Moses tell the Israelites the festival of shelters to the Lord begins on the 15th day of this seventh month and continues for seven days so this is the 16th day of the seventh month the Jewish month of Tishri 
And then verse 39, you are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days. Actually, this is one of two festivals that are celebrated for seven days. You're going to be looking at the second one next week. So celebrate it for seven days, and there will be a complete rest on the first and on the eighth day. And on the first day, here's what you do. You take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, bows of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. That's that celebration that God commands. Rejoice before the Lord. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. Celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in shelters. That's the way the translation of Sukkot reads. Shelter, tabernacle, booth. So that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there are two commands that we read about in this passage. The first one is to remember, and the second one is to rejoice. Remember, rejoice. Remember, rejoice. Isn't it interesting that God has to command us to do those things? We forget. We're just a bunch of forgetters. And when we forget we think that somehow God isn't going to be the same as he was before. God's been so faithful. And so Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness, the scriptures tell us God provided for us. We knew where we were going even though we didn't have Google. We didn't have AAA. (laughs) We knew where we were going because we had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you've ever been to the Sinai, it's a vast desert place. We were talking and singing about the desert places. Israel was in a desert place for 40 years, and yet we had food the whole time because God provided manna. Manna means, what's this? (laughs) Manna, what's this? It's something that God did supernaturally to provide every single day and a double portion for the Sabbath. A desert is a place where there's no water, and yet God provided water from the rock. And a a miracle, an evidence of his provision for us in that dry and barren place. You know, one of the the other things that God did, he said, our shoes didn't wear out. For 40 years, how would you like to have a pair of shoes? Anybody have a pair of shoes that's lasted them for 40 years? It's amazing. My feet aren't even the same size. But sandals that, you know, that last for 40 years, if you're a sandal maker, that's not very helpful for your business. But God provided, and that's the whole thing. He provides for us. That's what this festival means. It's, actually, it's a harvest festival. It's the final harvest So the the winter wheat and the grapes, there's all this that's being harvested right now in the land of Israel. And so when Jewish people, out of their own disobedience, were scattered around the world, God said, I'm going to remind you of what's going on in the land that I gave to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, because ultimately I'm going to call you back from the lands that I've scattered. He's doing that today. God is a miracle-working God. Israel, out of the ashes of the Holocaust, exists today as a demonstration that God not only promises, but he keeps every single one of them. And he will keep his promise to you too, just like he does to his Jewish people. So we have this amazing command to remember. Let's look at that passage where it says remember. 
All the native born of Israel must live in shelters so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so we have these shelters, these booths. There's a picture up on the screen about what a booth looks like. And you can see that's a very elaborate one because it's hand painted. Uh, There's three sides and one entryway. And then see the roof? It's kind of a thatched roof. And it's covered over with those three uh, species, the, the willow, the palm, and the myrtle. And then there are fruits that are hanging from the shelter. So you can go into the booth, and you're supposed to do that every day, whether you stay in there and sleep in there, or you just have a meal in there. You're supposed to go out there and remember. You know, we all kind of get bogged down with all the stuff in our lives, you know, living under the roof of, you know, with one or two mortgages and every piece of thing that we've collected over the years. And God says, you know, you got to get out of that environment to remember that I'm the one who provided all your needs. It's not the mortgage. It's not your 401k. It's me that provides all these things. So go out and live in the shelters. Next, uh, next week on Wednesday, my pastor and I are going to get 40 pounds of stuff in our backpacks. So we're going to go up into the Sierra Mountains for about four days. And I'm so looking forward to it because it gets me back and connected with God in a special way. Out in his great creation, I'm reminded that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And I, it's a fast from the world. Nobody can call me. And, you know, sometimes I think that if somebody can call me, it means that I have some control over my life and over what happens. But I don't. It's an illusion. And when we get out of our normal environment, we're reminded that God is in control. And he wants us to remember that. And whether you do it once a year at Sukkot or multiple times, it's good to remember that God is in charge. And then the, the command, the second command is to rejoice. Rejoice. We, it's a, another amazing thing. You know, we have to notify our face that we have reasons to rejoice because we forget. And so I think it's amazing that God has to command his people. On the first day, you were to take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You know, the apostle Paul picked up this idea of the command to rejoice in Philippians 4. And he said, rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, I say rejoice that's right and so the rabbis actually said how are we going to do this tactile wise you know to rejoice with these elements and so they came up with this the lulav and the etrog a lulav is the combination of palm willow and myrtle all together and we take it along with the etrog which is kind of like it's a citron of the lemon family some ladies you may use the citron to make um you know cakes uh, fruitcakes at, at Christmas time. But this is also an item that's being harvested in Israel right now. So we take the lulav and the etrog and we go inside the sukkah and we kind of celebrate with it in a very obvious way. We shake it as we sing 
And as we celebrate and we shake it up and down into the north and the south and the east and the west, and we do the hokey pokey and we turn ourselves about, and that's what it's all about. We're celebrating, we're rejoicing, we're using these items to remember God provides, and because of that, we can have great joy. And so these items are part of the festival, and whether you actually use those items, whatever it is, God wants us to remember this world is not our home. We shouldn't be clinging to all the things that we can accumulate under one or two mortgages. We should get out and remember that no matter what, he's our great provider, and because of that, we can rejoice. Now, Jesus used this very same festival to point out how he was the source of all these things. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that he was the one who was following us in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the rock is Christ, Paul tells us. All of these things are pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus in John chapter 7 takes this very occasion Next week, you're going to learn about how Jesus celebrated the Passover every year, but the most important time he did was right before he went to the cross, and it's going to transform your understanding of the Lord's Supper. But in John chapter 7, we find out that this controversy that I was telling you about, about who Jesus is in the Jewish community, it was really at a peak. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Now, I need to tell you that there were only Jews in Galilee and there were only Jews in Judea, so, and John himself was a Jew. So when he uses that phrase in John, and he does a number of times, he's specifically talking about Judean religious leaders. That's whom he calls the Jews, who were opposed, who were trying to kill Jesus. And so, in verse 2, the, the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So, this is a time when Jesus is in Galilee because the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. And his brothers, you'll see if you read the whole chapter, go on and kind of start taunting him a little bit. And they don't think that Jesus is going to go to the festival, but then he does. And then if you skip down to verse uh, 37... We find out what he does on the last and most important day of the festival, verse 37, which is the seventh day, and it's called in Hebrew, Hoshana Rabbah, which means the big praise. This is the, 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 the climax of the whole rejoicing and remembering festival. On that last day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of mayim chayim, that is living water, flow from deep within. Now, you need to understand what's going on because there was a development in the festival and how it was celebrated in the temple at this time. We don't know that from this passage, but from the rabbinic commentary, which is called Sukkah, the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a whole book about what was going on. And so to understand that helps us to understand why Jesus said and did what he did. So on the last day, Hoshana Rabbah, there were two celebrations that were part of that concluding party. The first was called the water drawing ceremony. And what would happen is the priests would 
with lots of music and singing, they would make their way from the temple all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. You've heard about that. Jesus liked to do miracles at the Pool of Siloam. Believe it or not, they just recently discovered, the archaeologists, where that, that pool is. So if you go to Israel, you can see it. And uh, so, but the Pool of Siloam was made up of water that came right through the rock from the outside, from the spring of Gihon, and just provided this big water source inside the city, the old city of Jerusalem. And so they would get these giant cisterns, and especially the younger priests would fill them up and put them on their shoulders, and they'd march and sing and make their way back up to the temple, and then they'd march around the altar in the temple seven times, and then they pour the water out. The water drawing ceremony is really the water pouring ceremony. And you can just imagine all of these cisterns, giant cisterns of water. The water pours out on the altar. It flows down the steps into the court of the women, down the steps into the court of the Gentiles. It's water everywhere. And everybody's you know, stomping around in the water. And they're singing from Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. Yeshua. Which means with, with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. Yeshua is Jesus' name. It's salvation. They're singing Jesus' name on the great day of the feast. They're stomping in the water. They're having a great time. And he says, anybody who's thirsty, come to me. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of my Chaim. You want living water? I've got it for you. The best kind. What an amazing way that Jesus seizes the moment and the symbol of the festival to say, I, you know, I was that water from the rock. I've been the one who provides for you. I'm the Yeshua that you're singing about. It's me. And that's such an amazing thing. How much I long for my people to know that he is the living water. What an amazing thing. Well, the conclusion of the festival in the temple was called the illumination ceremony. And it was the last night, and there's a huge party with food. It's almost like a carnival. And uh, the rabbis say, if you've never seen the illumination ceremony, you've never known true joy. And so what they have is these giant candelabras, and this doesn't quite do the trick, but I'll do it anyway, where you light the candle, oh, there's a little wind up here, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, v'tzivanu lahadlikner shel yom tov, amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival lights. And so now these candelabras that are in the temple courtyard are actually, you have to get up on ladders to get that high. Uh, to, to, they have giant bowls that uh, are filled with olive oil and the wicks are made out of the old garments, the worn out garments from the priests. And I don't think this one's going to light. Uh, oh, well. You get the idea. <laughs> and, and so just imagine it's nighttime, and the only illumination are these candelabras. 
And at the middle of this great celebration with the illumination from these giant candelabras, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, Jesus is saying, as the scriptures show, I am the fulfillment of all of this. The water, the light, I'm the provision in the dry and barren place. I can give you all that you need if you just come to me. And over and over again, my people have been reminded of this reality. And yet, I am a minority among my people. Of the 14 million Jewish people who are in the world today, there's probably less than a quarter of a million of us that are believers in Jesus. So we've got our work cut out for us. But you know what? It's not a hopeless task that I'm involved in, that we're partnering in. Because the word of God tells us that there is coming a time when all Israel will be saved. And that's also this Feast of Tabernacles because you see, it's the final harvest. It's the last in-gathering. And so while in one sense, because it's a harvest festival, we're talking about fruit, <laughs> grapes, wheat, but God is talking about so much more because he's talking about people. God is interested in gathering his people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's the future harvest. But smack dab in the middle of God's promise for all peoples is his promise to Israel. Who though in unbelief, God tells us, is going to turn their hearts once again. And the restoration of the nation of Israel is part of his plan. They have come back in unbelief. But that's why we're there working every day to proclaim the gospel. And that's why I'm so excited to see the greater openness that there is among the Jewish people. You know, the Bible says that in the last days there will arise an enemy of the Jews that makes Yasser Arafat look like a good friend. To all the world, he looks like, well, he looks like a, uh, a great wise leader, you know. But the Bible says from heaven's perspective, he's like a beast coming up out of the sea. And he will deceive the nations of the world and gather their armies together to invade the beautiful land. And in that plain of Megiddo, you've heard of Armageddon, it simply means the hill overlooking that plain, is the gathering place for the mother of all wars. And that war that begins there is fought down, down to the city of Jerusalem. The city is now surrounded. A lethal dagger is poised and pointed at the heart of the nation of Israel. God, who promised they would exist before him forever, must come through now or the end is certainly at hand. And at this most desperate of hours, Israel, having heard the gospel proclaimed by some 144,000 Jews for Jesus, they will cry out to God for a deliverer. And that is when he comes. The Bible says you hear it and then you see it. <laughs> the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. Now what does the shout of the creator of the universe sound like? <laughs> In my imagination it begins like a rumble that gets louder and louder and louder. And until all warfare ceases, 
All activity on the planet comes to a screeching halt and all attention is grabbed towards the skies. We see the clouds roll back as a scroll. The brightness of a thousand noonday suns fills our vision and there's the one we've been waiting for. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And as he descends and as his foot touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain is split from east to west. And then is fulfilled the promise of the prophet Zechariah who said, And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn as one mourns for an only son and weep bitterly as in the weeping of a firstborn. And in that day a great fountain will be opened in Jerusalem for cleansing and for purification. And thus all Israel will be saved and God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. He tabernacles with us. Hallelujah. That's our great hope, brothers and sisters. And we have this as our heritage. You may want to go out into your backyard and just look up at the sky tonight and see the stars and realize he's got it all together. He's got you and he's got me. And he'll provide for all of our needs. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. There's a blessing that God gave the priests of Israel. He said, bless my people with this blessing. And they will be blessed. <laughs> First in Hebrew and then in English. Would you bow your heads, please? Yoher Adonai Panavalecha Vikuneka Yisa Adonai Panavalecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem, Yeshua, Mishichenu, Sar HaShalom. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. God bless you.